Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all around the world through what He's doing right here at Meadowbrook. So if that's you and you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send us an email at godstories at nbcocala.org. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so by giving online. Thanks so much for joining us and prepare your heart to hear from God. Thank you so much for joining us for Church Online. It's going to be a good morning. Speak peace to your house. Y'all doing good? You look good. You, uh, you, you caffeinated and well rested. <laughs> you, okay, all right, you don't seem like it. Nine, nine o'clock was way more awake than y'all. But uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, my name is Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Meadowbrook. And it's always a, a privilege to be able to fill in. Uh, many of you know that Pastor Tim is working on his doctorate, and so that requires him to be away at school a few times throughout the year. So that's where he's at this weekend, but he sends his love, sends his regards, and wants you to know he'll be back uh, next Sunday. And uh, first service, I said that, and people started cheering, and I'm like, well, what about me? <laughs> that's next week. But uh, he'll be kicking off a new series called Do Unto Others, and there's this little rule that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so we're going to kind of be delving deeper into that. Who is others? Who is our neighbor? You know, there's a lot of uh, injustice and hurt going on in our world. And I believe that we as the church, as believers, we have a responsibility. We have a part to play and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to a hurting world. So that's kicking off next Sunday. Um, and on your way out, grab some of our invest and invite cards and, and be mindful of who maybe God would put on your heart uh, to invite for that next Sunday. Also, this Wednesday, we're having what we call our uh, Next Generation Takeover. If you've ever been a part of one of those, uh, it, it's a fun time. It's where our Next Gen team uh, comes in and it takes over service, uh, our, our, the teaching and the worship and everything else. They're going to be casting vision and giving you a glimpse of what goes on back with our, our children and our students and our college of 20-something. So that's going to be a good night. And we're, we're excited for that. But how about this weather? So it's officially, I guess, what you would call Florida Fall. And don't act like you, know, you don't know what I'm talking about. I saw some of you wearing sweaters yesterday and already listening to Christmas music. It's not even Thanksgiving yet, but this is like the month of the pumpkin. I, I have realized that the, there's a whole industry where they make so much money off pumpkins. We, we smell pumpkins, we decorate with them, we eat them, and now we drink them. Pumpkin spice latte, anybody? That was not a cafe plug. I just felt like talking about pumpkins, but uh, it's, it's good to be here. And it's also good if you're a Gator fan. Anyone watch that game last night? That usually if there's a later game and a night before I've got to teach or something, I'll, you know, I just kind of play it by ear. But yesterday I was like, you know what? I, I have a feeling it's going to be worth it to watch this one. And so they, they did not disappoint. That was exciting. And I woke up like a little boy on Christmas morning. But anyways, it is, it is good to be here. And um, I'm excited about what, what God has put on my heart about, about what uh, I want to share with you today. Before we get started into that, you know, being in ministry and doing life with so many precious people, you get a lot of opportunities uh, to witness life change, to be a part of some really cool things. And this past week, myself and some of the pastors, we got to be a part of a video that's very life-changing, and I, I wanted to share that with you. So go ahead and roll that video. Because I'm happy. Talk about you if you feel like a room without 
Now, I wasn't lying. I said it would be life-changing, did I not? I just didn't say how it would change your life. But guess what? Now, if you weren't awake, hopefully you're more, more awake. If, if you've never heard that song, um, then you've probably lived under a rock for the last year and a half or so. And, and, and honestly, me playing that video, yeah, it serves some purpose. You, but don't worry, we didn't waste any, any time or resources on that. That's just the power of technology. Um, but that, that song is, is, is by an artist called Pharrell. And um, it, the song's called, can you guess? Happy, yeah, yeah. And so it kind of took the world by storm. In 2014, it was the number one selling song in the U.S. and in the U.K. It was also the most successful song worldwide um, based on how many times it was streamed and downloaded and purchased. And then the statistic that really blew my mind was that on YouTube, the, the official video... Now, if you ask me, I think that should be the official music video. <laughs> but the actual one that they produced... Uh, has been viewed on YouTube over 730 million times. 730 million times, meaning, to kind of put that into perspective, if you took every person in the United States of America and made them watch that video at least twice, that's kind of where we'd land. So now you see why I say if you've never heard that song, you've been living under a rock. And you say, well, what does that song have to do with anything? Well, you know, I think that every one of us wants to be happy. Every one of us wants to be happy. That song you hear, you, get, you, you want to get up and move, it just kind of makes you feel happy. And, and, and happiness is, is a good thing. It's, not, it's an innate desire that each and every one of us are born with. We want to have that emotion of happiness. And I don't think anyone chooses to be miser, uh, miserable or, or depressed. Now, sometimes our choices or our life patterns can lead to us being miserable, but that wasn't our intent. We, we want to be happy. And everyone has their idea of, of what it means to be happy, the things that evoke happiness in your life. If, if I said to think happy thoughts or go to your happy place or what's your happy spot, right now you're probably being flooded with thoughts of a memory or an activity or a place, something that in your life you equate with happiness. Maybe for you, I know it's hunting season now, maybe it's out in the woods sitting in a deer stand. Maybe that's your happy spot. Maybe for you, it's sitting on your porch uh, with a cup of coffee and a book. Uh, maybe it's just the outdoors in general. I have a friend who, who says that he never feels closer to God than when he's out on his boat in the morning when the, when the sun is rising. Maybe your happy spot is the middle of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium on the fall afternoon waiting for the Gators to kick off. Maybe that's your happy place because I know it's not an FSU stadium. <laughs> Maybe it's Disney World. Maybe, you know, I could go on and on. You know what makes you happy. And my wife and I, this might be cheesy, but our happy place is Target. (laughs) (laughs) On weekends, we'll be sitting around, and if we look at each other and say, hey, do you want to be happy? That's like the intro line to let's go get in the car and go to Target and spend money we don't need to spend. Because that's the point of Target, right? You, You go, and if you don't go with a very strict purpose and mission, you leave having bought all these things. You're like, why? Did we really need this? And so that's dangerous, too, because our other happy places are Publix and Lowe's. So you always come out with more than you bargained for. But we, we know what makes us happy. And, and further, I, I read some statistics on happiness that I found rather insightful. People who consider themselves to be happy have a lower heart rate. They have lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol. They have a lower concentration of plasma associated with heart disease. Companies pay 41% less in healthcare costs for employees who are happy, and as a result of their happiness, obviously healthier. According to an analysis of 30 studies, happy people are less likely to get sick, and when they do get sick, recover quicker. 
Among older people, optimists have 77% lower risk of heart disease than pessimists. And people who feel happy and have, some, or, and have a sense of purpose live longer than people who don't. So if you didn't already want to be happy, hearing those statistics, you know, I want to be happier. I want, I want less stress. I want lower risk of heart disease. I mean, these are, these are good things. There's, there's benefits from being happy. And every one of us, we're aware of the things uh, that we believe will help us reach peak happiness. We're also aware of the things that uh, if these things happen, they will have a negative impact on our happiness or our level of being happy. For instance, I will finally be fulfilled. I will finally reach peak happiness once I find the one and I get married. Maybe you've said that to yourself. Maybe for you, it's uh, when I land this position or I get this job in this field, that's when I'll be fulfilled and that's when I will truly be happy. On the other side of that, maybe you're facing a medical diagnosis and and your thought now is, well, because I'm facing this, I can't be happy as long as this is in my life. Or uh, if I'm struggling to pay my bills or, or to lose this weight or we haven't been able to have children or, or we're, we're stuck in this job or this relationship, because of that, I can't be happy. But this is what psychological research shows. It shows two different things. That the things we think will make us the happiest never make us as happy as we think they'll make us, and it's never for as long as we think. So your ideal of happiness, even if all the stars align and you, you're in the happy place, all the circumstances are perfect, psychology shows that you're never as happy as you think you'd be for as long as you think. And then conversely, on the other side of that, challenges or negative life events never have as negative an impact on our happiness as we give them credit. So this kind of got me thinking. Maybe there's something more. Maybe happiness is not all that it's cracked up to be. Maybe happiness isn't, isn't the goal. Maybe there's something deeper or stronger or better. And, you know, that's when I, I came to this realization that we spend too much time chasing happiness when we need to be choosing joy. I'll say that again. We, we, we spend too much time chasing our idea of happiness, circumstantial happiness, our thought of what will bring us happiness. We spend too much time and effort chasing that when in reality, we just need to be choosing joy. And, and you say, well, wait a minute, happiness and joy, aren't, aren't those the, the same things? Like when I'm happy, I, I feel joy. When, when I feel joyful, it, you know, it's equated to my happiness. Isn't that hand in hand? And, you know, they're not actually the same thing. Happiness is circumstantial in accordance with our desires. Meaning that we have our ideals, we have our desires, and if our circumstances align with those things, it results in the feeling or the emotion of what it means to be happy. Is there anything wrong with desiring happiness? No. Is it wrong to want to be happy? Not at all. Look at the benefits. Look at, you know, even just hearing that song, I see some of you dancing and clapping. And, you know, it's good to be happy, but happiness is not all that there is. So joy develops within us despite our circumstances. If happiness is a result of perfect circumstances, well, guess what? Joy, you can still have that even when things don't go your way. Even when life doesn't pan out the way that you planned or expected. Joy is greater. And so today I want to teach a message to you entitled, Choose Joy. And I, and I believe that we're going to walk through some things here today that will encourage you and, and help you as, as you leave. I think as, as people, we have what I would call the feels. Do you know what I mean when I say that? That we, we, we feel deeply. 
We feel lots of things. We're very in touch with, with our feelings. And, and a lot of times we let our feelings or our emotions be the thing that dictate the way we lead our life. We let our feelings play into far too many of our decisions. And, and we're so swayed by what we feel based on what's happening at the moment. Well, I don't feel like that. Or I don't feel good today. Or I don't know how you feel, but this is how I feel. And we're quick to let everyone know about our feelings. There, there, there's a movie called Mean Girls. It's a satire. I'm not, I'm not endorsing the film, but there's this part where the, the students are in a, a, an assembly in the gymnasium. And this girl gets up and she's crying and she's bubbling. She's a ball of emotion. And she's talking about rainbows and butterflies and wishing everyone could hug and make up and be happy. And this other student shouts out. He goes, she doesn't even go here. And the principal says, wait a minute. Do, do you even go here? And she goes, no, but I just have a lot of feelings. And I think a lot of times that's us. We, we come into a situation, we come into a place, and we're just so led by our feelings. We're, we're, we're blubbering with emotions. And really there's something greater that, that we can have a grip on, something better. And, and we should not be so easily swayed by how we feel. Because even when we don't feel happy, we can still have joy. Amen. And do you know why that is? It's because joy is not a feeling. It's a response. Joy is not a feeling, it's a response. In every situation, we have a choice how we will will respond. When something happens, we can stop in that moment, we we can react like we normally do, or we can stop, we can pause, and we choose. Am I going to respond confidently in faith, or am I going to respond in fear? Am I going to respond in joy, or am I going to respond negatively? Am I going to respond, you know, whatever. There's always that choice. And joy is a response, it's not just a feeling. Uh, Joy doesn't negate all other emotions, but joy transcends all other emotions. Meaning that it's, it's, it's beyond those emotions. Do we have emotions? Yes. Are they real? Do, are, is what we feel very real to us? Yes. We, we live in a fallen world, and so we feel negative emotions. Hurt and bitterness and resentment and anxiety and fear and worry and all those things. Those are things we feel. And it, but joy, while it doesn't negate those things, that, that we won't have those, it transcends them. It's greater. It's deeper. It's better. It's like the Apostle Paul talked about in Corinthians. You can be sorrowful, yet all the more still rejoicing. And that, and that is what I desire for each and every one of us, that we would know true biblical joy that is available to the life of the believer and that we would tap into that. Happiness is linked to the external, but joy is internal because joy is an issue of the soul. Every one of us has a soul, and it's our desire, it's our, our responsibility, rather, that we keep our soul healthy. And that when our soul is in, in tune with our creator, if our soul is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy our life. Amen. If we truly know whose we are, and we truly know who we trust and who our source for joy is, nothing that happens outside here can destroy our life because we're settled in here where our joy comes from. Amen? Amen. So this isn't a teaching today about what we feel. This is a teaching about who we trust. And I want to share three things that I believe make, uh, that are vital to joy. This is not a, a, a magic formula. This is not a three-step uh, solution to self-improvement. No, it's not, nothing like that. I'm sure we could sit here and talk doctrinally and theologically about joy and all the things that it is to us. But these are three things that I believe are vital to understanding joy and having it in our lives. The first of those is that joy is a choice. Say that with me. Joy is a choice. I already said it, it's, a, it's a response. It's, it's a choice. It's not a, a byproduct 
or a result, but it's first and foremost a choice. We decide if we are going to be joyful. Our ability to have joy in our life is based on our ability to choose it. Like I said, every situation, we have a choice how we're going to respond, and we can choose to respond in joy. Now, when we look at Scripture, we see uh, many people that God used mightily. He did incredible things through their lives. He showed himself faithful. And, and when you look at their lives, uh, uh, they weren't always uh, rainbows and butterflies. They, they weren't always perfect. It wasn't always easy sailing. They, they, they usually endured some things. There were some things God had to walk them through. But through that process, God shows himself faithful. And we can look at the lives of these people in Scripture and learn from their example. Because if God did it for them, he can do it for us. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today. And forever. And so truth applies to all generations. And we can learn from the lives of some of these people. And, and, and so, yeah, there was hardship, but, but God showed himself faithful in that. That's what I love about God's stories and testimonies. You know, we don't share stories here about someone who says, this is my God story. My life has been perfect. Nothing's ever gone wrong. And amen. <laughs> it's, it's this is where I was. And now here is where I'm at. This is what I was going through. This was how hopeless I was, how down I was, that what the doctor said. This is what God said. This is how God turned that situation for good. This is what I learned through that. That is a God story, and that's the power of who he is. And so I want to look at a couple people in Scripture who had the opportunity to choose the opposite of joy, but they chose joy, and they can be an example to us. The first of them is Job. Job, if you've never read his story, uh, you've at least heard Job talked about in the sense of suffering. Job and suffering are, are kind of synonymous to each other. And in the, in the book of Job, um, he's kind of the picture of suffering because he has an incredible life. Every, everything is perfect. He has a business and he has influence and he has wealth and he has land and he has his health and he's a beautiful wife and children and all these things. But in no time, all of it is taken away from him. He loses it. He loses his health. His family is killed off. His business, everything, gone. And there's no clear reason why this happened. It's not like he did anything to deserve it. It just kind of all unfolds in a quick manner this way. But the amazing thing to me is that, that Job, he never fully, he doesn't reject God. He doesn't denounce God. He doesn't run from God. But what we do see is, is clearly he wrestles with God. And, and he begins to question God, and he wants to know why these things have happened. Why him? And he keeps asking that question, but I love this. God doesn't answer him why. He doesn't, he doesn't give him the justice of telling him why all these things happen. What God does instead is he overwhelms Job with a sense of uh, God's sovereignty and his majesty. And so in Job chapter 38, verse 4, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Where, where were you? you? You seem to be questioning me and, and, and challenging me, but everything you see I've created, this whole world I created with my breath, it's a result of my handiwork. I, I created you. I knew your days before you were ever even a thought to your mother. And if for some reason you feel like you have a better solution or timeline or a better answer of, of everything, well, then, then tell me, show me. And, and, and I don't know about y'all, but if I were Job, I'd probably humble out pretty quickly. Like, all right, you, you got me, God. And God's kind of saying, do you trust me or not? Am I not able? Am I not worthy? Do you not trust me in my sovereignty that I am working in your life? And so Job, instead of choosing to continue to question, Job decides to trust God. 
And going on in chapter 42, verses 5 through 6, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And Job's essentially saying, I, I thought I knew you, but now I know you. I, I, I thought I trusted you, but now I trust you and I humble myself before you and I receive everything that you are. And so when you fast forward to the end of the story, not only is everything that Job lost restored to him, but it's restored even greater. But here's what you got to look at. If Job had known how it was all going to play out, if he knew the end, would he have ever questioned or wrestled with God? No. He'd be like, oh, well, that's how it plays out? Good. But look at the opportunity that arose in those circumstances. While God was working himself faithful, Job, instead of continuing to wrestle, he chose to trust God. And his faith was strengthened in that process. Job is an excellent example of what it means to choose to trust God and ultimately choose joy. Let's look at another person, David. King David, used mightily by God, but yet so many times there was things that David went through. And you think, how did he ever get through that? And I love the book of Psalms. I would encourage you, if you don't daily get into the Psalms, uh, but sometimes when I read them, it's almost as if David has multiple personalities. Or it's like, well, did David write that part? And then someone else wrote this part? Because David wrestles with himself a lot. He goes from place, uh, for extreme lows to extreme highs. And, uh, but, but, but for me, I'm, I'm actually comforted by that because I think we can read the Psalms and realize, you know, we're all people. We have emotions. We have things we go through. And it's okay sometimes to wrestle, to find our hope. But ultimately, we can learn from his example by choosing joy, by choosing trust, by choosing hope. And, and in uh, Psalms 43, verse 5, David's talking to himself. He says, why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Let me stop right there. He, he's in the state of depression and, and he acknowledges that depression. But in that moment, he chooses to square himself up by the shoulders. He kind of stops. And even though his depression's right there staring him in the face, he confronts it and he changes his tune. And he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Just because I'm in this place, just because I'm wrestling, just because people are against me, I'm depressed, I'm I'm fearful. You know what? No, I'm not settling there. I'm not making my bed there. I'm not camping there. I choose to square up my shoulders and choose who it is that I trust. My hope, my salvation, my joy comes from the God Almighty. And so we can learn from that. That, that in our state, whatever we're facing, we don't have to settle there. We can confront those emotions and we can, can, we can seek God with renewed intensity and he can show us how to pull ourselves out of that nosedive of emotion. Amen. I think we can learn greatly from that. When you, when you are, are, are fearful or depressed, rouse yourself to seek God as your hope, no matter how hopeful your circumstances. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at another person, the Apostle Paul. Paul was someone who also suffered greatly. And, and, and Paul was someone who at one point persecuted Christians. And then he went on to uh, write most of the New Testament and establish churches. And, and, and through that, there was a lot of things that, that Paul endured. And one book in particular that he wrote, the book of Philippians, it's only four chapters long, not a long book, uh, but it's super encouraging. And in those chapters, he, he, he uses the word joy 16 different times. But here's the thing you got to understand. Paul wasn't writing this book from a yacht. He wasn't on vacation in in the Caribbean. He wasn't uh, sitting on a beach or in his backyard in a hammock with a glass of tea. No, Paul was um, in, he was behind bars in Rome awaiting his execution. 
And in the darkest days of his life, he managed to write one of the most encouraging pieces of Scripture. If that's not an example of what it means to choose joy, then I don't, I don't know what is. And another book that he wrote, Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That your joy and your peace is found in believing and trusting him and that the Holy Spirit can fill you with all hope. Hear me, joy is a choice. And we are best set up to make that choice when we know who it is that we trust. Put your trust in God despite what you see in the natural, despite what your circumstances look like. Choose to trust him and you will receive joy as a result. So joy is a choice. Secondly, joy is a gift. Say that with me. Joy is a gift. Joy is a gift, something that, that has been given to us. Uh, when you choose to, to live a kingdom life and, and to, to follow in relationship with Jesus, there are many things that are made available to us. And, and in Galatians, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control. These are all things that, that are available to us. But so often, the, thing, the gift that I think we uh, don't fully tap into or we don't fully receive, or maybe it sits over there, still kind of wrapped up, is the gift of joy. And part of that, I believe, is because of wrong definitions or maybe wrong expectations. We're too busy pursuing joy and viewing it as an outside circumstance. Or we're trying to find joy through our circumstances. We're trying to find happiness, rather. We're trying to find that emotion, and we're missing out what joy is altogether. And so because of that, that gift uh, d- does not get received and put to use. I-, I-, I read recently that in 2014, also the same year that 730 million people watched the Happy Video, get this, $750 million worth of gift cards went unused. Unused. Meaning that someone went to Best Buy or the movies or Target or Walmart or wherever charged a gift card, gave it to someone as a gift, and that person never cashed that gift in. $750 million worth. So those nice, shiny gift cards, they have a purpose. They can be put to use. Someone received that and never did anything with it. It's lying in a, in a glove compartment or in the bottom of a purse or on someone's desk. I can say right now, my mom has a stack on her desk of gift cards. And I look at them and I think, you know, I could put those to use very quickly. I, I don't understand her strategy here. <laughs> And so maybe you're planning on giving my parents gift cards for Christmas. Go ahead and just give them to me. (laughs) And and, and together we can lower that national statistic. Amen? (laughs) But for real, if we don't understand the purpose of a gift and we don't put that gift to use, it does us no good. So don't look for joy in your circumstances. Rather, realize that joy can arise from the opportunities in your circumstances. I'll show you what I mean. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the, ste- the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So instinctually, like when we, when we meet trial, our reaction is not joy. But notice, James is not saying that you count it all joy when you meet trial. He's not saying count it all joy because of your circumstances. Goes on and says, your faith is put to the test. Your faith will be stronger. The joy comes from that. It's not in the circumstance. It's the opportunity that arises 
from the circumstance. I love how the message puts it. Instead of calling it a joy, it actually calls it a gift. It says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And what happens so often is, let's just be honest, we love to play God. We love to act like we're the ones that are making everything happen. Like we've got it together. Like we're capable of fixing our circumstances or our situations. And and so in that, we we try so hard to protect our joy by controlling our circumstances. But despite all that effort and all that energy, what ends up happening is that we end up constricting our joy. We kill our own joy by trying to play God. And if a gift is something to be received, then let's just receive that joy. Let's stop trying to control things and work and earn that joy. Let God do that part and let's just receive the gift of joy. Our, our pastor has talked so much about seasons. And, and, and I think rather than viewing a season as something to be endured, we need to view it as a gift to be enjoyed. Now, I'm not saying that, that if, if you're walking through a season right now with illness, that you embrace your illness I'm not saying that you embrace hardship or you, well, God caused this for my own good. That's not not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that in that season, rather than focus on your circumstances and just trying to endure, you look at the opportunities. You draw closer to God. You allow himself to show himself faithful to you and you grow and you receive joy in the midst of all that. Be faithful in your season. And, and, and I believe that this is for, for someone, if not many people here right now. Maybe you're in a relationship right now that's just kind of a dead-end relationship. Maybe you're in a job that you feel like it's going nowhere. Maybe you're walking through a family hardship or financial hardship or a health crisis, whatever it is. And you are, you are um, leaning towards wanting to take matters into your own hands. And, and, and I would just encourage you not to do something rash. Don't exit the season too soon because you're trying to play God. Allow God to do his work. Allow him to show himself faithful to you. And get this, do the last thing he showed you to the best of your ability until he shows you the next thing. Amen? I know that's for someone today. So joy is a choice. Joy is a a gift. And, And third and lastly, joy is thanks. Say that with me. Joy is thanks. And I, I think if we are focusing on happiness and we're focusing on circumstances, then very easily the focus gets put on ourself. But uh, when we put the focus on ourself, the, the less satisfied we're going to be. When we put the focus on ourselves, the less joy we're going to have. But uh, gratitude is the antidote to selfishness. When, when we give thanks, it, it gives us the opportunity to take the focus off ourselves and, and our situation and put the focus on the one who's faithful. Whatever you're going through, no matter how discouraged you are, if you stop and you start listing off the things that God has done in your life and thanking him and seeing how good he is, all of a sudden, all the fear, all the the negativity goes away and it produces within you that feeling of joy. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, meaning to have joy always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just the good circumstances, all circumstances. For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. So here's the reason God asks us to give thanks. Because a lot of times we don't feel joy on our own. But he knows that the feeling of joy begins with the action of thanksgiving. 
The feeling of joy begins with the action of thanksgiving. If you're not joyful, I dare you, start thanking God for some things. Start reflecting on his goodness. Look at his past faithfulness. And the, the, the feeling of joy that arises within you is beyond anything you could ever have just from your circumstances. Joy is thanks and action. Amen? Joy is a choice. Joy is gift. Joy is thanks. As, as I get ready to kind of close this in here, I, I, I want to encourage you. You know, a lot of us um, have been through hardship. Maybe right now you're, you're going through hardship. Maybe there, there's hardship that lies ahead and and I would just say, let's not be naive and think that hardship is not a part of life. Jesus himself prophesied and said, there will be trials and, and, and tribulations in this world. But he doesn't stop there. He says, take heart, for I have overcome them. But you have to realize, man, out of his own free will, chose to sin. And there is results from that. There is consequence. We live in a fallen world. Until we die or we fly, there's going to be things that we go through. But what happens so often is, is just like Job we get hung up on the question of why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why did God let that happen? Why, why uh, did he not stop this? And, and we begin to wrestle with God. And I, I think sometimes it can be a dangerous place to be. And we're, really, we're, we're asking the wrong question. Because there's the revealed part of God's will, and there's the part that he has yet to reveal. But if we focus on that, even if God showed you everything, and, and, he, and he told you exactly why, would, would that make it any less hard to walk through at the moment? Instead of, of questioning why, really that's just our desire to want to play God. We just need to stop and say, I don't get all this. I don't understand it, but I know God's at work despite the things that are happening. Choose to trust God. Choose to have joy. Don't confuse foreknowledge with causation. Meaning that just because God is all-knowing and he knew something ahead of time, and just because he's all-powerful, don't confuse that with God causing it. I believe that God is not an author of evil. He's a good God, and therefore, if he is good, anything that is good is of him. And so when something happens in your life, a trial or a hardship, that is an opportunity for God to show himself faithful. He didn't cause it, but he will use it to work everything together for good. He will turn ashes into beauty. He will turn your mourning into dancing. Amen? So instead of questioning why, we need to trust the one who knows all and find our joy in the fact that he's at work in all of it. Either he's in control or he's not. Either we trust him or we don't. And guess what? My God is trustworthy. My God is faithful. My God is in control. And he is the source of my joy. Now, now talking about joy, I, I want to show you a little illustration. Um, the Great Wall of China uh, we, I have a picture here. That's my brother. About uh, just a few weeks ago, he, he was in China with, with doing some work with a nonprofit, and he actually got to go and see the Great Wall. And so that's just an incredible life experience. But that, that wall it, it can be seen from space. It, it's one of the wonders of the world. And it was constructed uh, t- to protect the country from barbarians that were invading from the north. The wall is 1,500 miles in length. It's 18 feet thick and 30 feet tall. It was made to be something that was impossible to go around, to break through, or go over. But it was impenetrable. Uh, but, but yet, despite that, what happened in the, in the first 100 years of its existence, the country was successfully invaded three different times. Barbaric hordes got through the wall three different times. Never once did they go around it. Never once did they scale over it or break through it. Now, do you know how they got in? An open door. They, they bribed a gatekeeper 
to let them in. They walked right through an open door. So get this. In your life, it's our job to protect our joy. As I said, it's a gift. It's ours. But what doors have we let open that our joy can just slip right out? The wall's purpose did not fail because the wall failed. Its purpose failed because of a breakdown in values. And so the same thing is true. Our joy can only be compromised because of a breakdown in trust. When we lose sight of the one that we trust, when we lose sight of the source of our joy, if we, if we get lax, that opens the door and we can give our joy away. Because guess what? Really, we're the ones who give it away. Circumstances don't take our joy. Do you know why? Because circumstances didn't give us our joy. Circumstances aren't the source of our joy. People can't take our joy. Why? People don't give us our joy. God is our source. He is the one who gives us joy. And only we can give that joy away. Let's protect our heart. Let's guard our soul. Let's keep those doors closed. And let's trust the one who is the source of all joy. Sure, joy doesn't mean that we're going to feel good all the time. But joy is the assurance, get this, that God is in control and that he is working everything together for our good. And when you are assured of that, you can have joy. You can feel joy. You can choose joy. You can receive the gift of joy and you can thank God from a place of joy because he is a good God, worthy of our praise, worthy of our trust, has made his joy available to us. So instead of chasing our idea of happiness, let's choose to be a people who chooses joy. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this today?